Hi there, I'm Julie Nemitz, and this is In the Green Room, a Creatives Going Digital podcast. I take the 15 plus years I've spent in digital marketing for Fortune 500 brands and my years of supporting nonprofits, arts organizations, Grow Online, to today, where I help creative folks like you learn to make, move, and market content online. Whether you are working for an arts organization or for yourself, this podcast serves to help keep the creative arts and artists moving forward into the digital age. I also feature current arts news, a healthy dose of marketing know-how, tips and tricks, and feature interviews with some of the country's finest arts makers. So take your seat in the green room. I'm so glad to have you here where you belong. Well, hello there. Before we get started with today's episode, I have to say that sometimes I can't believe how serendipity works. You know, Webster's Dictionary defines serendipity as the occurrence and development of events by chance in a happy or beneficial way. And let me tell you, meeting Julia Campbell is certainly an an example of serendipity. I knew Julia purely from some professional development workshops that I'd gone to and I'd followed her on social media and I had gotten some emails from her over the course of the last year or so. And when I was thinking about content for my Playhouse marketing group, I thought about, well, how about we talk more about development and fundraising? So I just popped Julie an email and she was more than happy to come on and join us for this episode. You know, talking about how we raise money and how we ask for money during these challenging times during the COVID-19 pandemic with the arts and culture organizations um, pretty much shut down. It's a challenging conversation to have. And and I couldn't imagine anybody more perfect than Julia Campbell to have that conversation with me. But what I wasn't expecting was that she is a huge creative and arts and culture fan. She and her daughter have experienced some wonderful memories with the theater. Her daughter is so enthused and passionate about becoming a performer herself and is a young actress in her own right. So who knew (laughs) coming into a conversation with me that Julie and I would have so much in common. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, I like to think of us as the Julie and Julia of nonprofit. And I think Nora Ephron might be kind of amused. Enjoy the episode. I cannot wait for you to meet today's guest. She's a rock star, profit, nonprofit fundraising and digital marketing thought leader, Julia Campbell. So today we're going to be talking about fundraising uh, here at the year end. And like I said, a year unlike any we have weathered. Um, we're going to be here to talk about innovations in digital fundraising and best practices to help develop your theater's fundraising strategies. Because right now we really want to be thinking about how are we going to grow donor growth donor revenue growth this fall and um, knowing that a lot of our theaters are closed until 2021. Now, granted, there are many theaters that are working to get theater live again in their or in their theater spaces. And I'm 
beyond thrilled about it. But the majority of theaters today are working either in a virtual experience or they're quiet. And you know what? It doesn't matter if your theater is not producing content right now, if you are not putting a play on in your, in your theater space, you still have the opportunity and the right to fundraise. And so I don't know if you know this, but 54% of nonprofits are finalizing their year-end fundraising strategies in October. And I'm really curious if you are. Now, down below, you're going to see a poll, and I'd love for you to answer it because I'd like to get a sense of how many theaters are in the process of looking at how they're going to be fundraising this fall and which ones are have you guys have not started it yet. And then next to that um, poll is also an area for you to ask questions. So what I'm going to do is we're going to go ahead and start the interview with Julia, but I want to make sure that you're asking questions as they go along. When we're done, we will definitely come back to them and make sure all your questions get answered. So now back to Julia. Okay. So she's based in Boston, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. And she is a global authority on digital storytelling, fundraising, and marketing with happy clients spanning the globe from Moscow to San Francisco. She has provided workshops and trainings to Meals on Wheels for America, Make-A-Wish Foundation, Boys and Girls Club of America, just to name a few. Um, she's a frequent contributor to nonprofit Tech for Good, Social Media Today, Maximizing Social Business, Elevation Web, and Network for Good, uh, among a lot of others. And I pretty sure that's where I discovered Julia first was during uh, during a webinar for Network for Good. So um, I'm so thrilled for you guys to meet her. She's also the author of Storytelling in the Digital Age, a guide for nonprofits. And if you've been to any of the Academy Masterclasses or any of my roundtables, you've heard me say before that there's no other nonprofit industry like the theater more well-situated to do digital storytelling online. And that's one of the things I love about Julia is that we have that in common to keep um, theater moving forward in the digital age. So without further ado, let's bring on Julia. Hello Yay! there. Hi, I love that graphic that Julia and Julia so <laughs> perfect. I love it. We are the nonprofit Julie and Julia. Yes. It's the Julie and Julia show. Yes, I love it so much. It's so great. Well, I'm so thrilled to have you here. And I gave you such a teeny tiny little intro. Would you mind telling um, the Academy folk and those that are watching today um, more about you? Like, where, where where do you land in the whole world of digital fundraising? And, and how are you looking at development and all of that in your, in your job? Well, I've worked in and with nonprofits really my whole life. I was volunteering in high school and all through college. I was a teen program director at a, at a nonprofit in Boston. Mm -hmm. And I served in the U.S. Peace Corps in Senegal and West Africa, worked with a lot of NGOs there, did mm -hmm. my very first fundraising campaign. Now, this was in um, the year, what was it, 2001. So actually, it was right after 9-11. But we did a fundraising campaign for a well and there was no Venmo, there was no GoFundMe, there was no Network for Good. It was all literally Western Union. I had to write letters home and write emails home and do good old fashioned one-on-one -on -one, like storytelling kind of fundraising. And we raised the money for the well and a school where I where I lived in, in Senegal. Wow. And then I've been a one person development director slash marketing slash social media slash duties as assigned. 
So I've worked in everything from domestic violence. I worked at a domestic violence shelter. I've worked in early childhood. I've worked in higher ed. So I've kind of worked, run the gamut. And then I started my business about um, 10 years ago, teaching nonprofits how to use digital fundraising tools and digital marketing tools to really augment and enhance and, and grow their organizations. Well, that's definitely, you have something very much in common with a lot of the folks in the academy, which is mm -hmm. you wear many hats. You have, you've got yes. that experience in your background, um, because that's certainly true of theaters. <laughs> you know, they are, most theaters don't have robust staffs of yep. like 15 people in marketing. So, um, so oh yeah, washing the coffee maker. <laughs> the, what, my favorite was when I was the, I was the vice, I was called the vice president of development at this community college where I worked at. And I still had to rent a van and get all the balloons for the event that we were doing, the big fundraiser event, and then set up all the balloons and all the place cards. And everyone says, oh, you're the vice president of development. And I'm like, yeah, I'm still, I'm still getting the balloons and setting up the cards, the place cards. That's what yeah. I can, I can get it. That's, that's, that's what it's like to work in nonprofit, right? But it's rewarding, right? Yeah. So listen, you know, um, I'm curious because the, the thing that's really uh, brought so many of us together here at Playhouse Marketing Group and uh, and really connected us quickly was um, obviously the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we all definitely um, felt that pandemic pause. A lot of theaters, you know, closed down or they all, um, you know, they all went quiet. Um, many theaters are starting to pop up again. I'm just curious, like, how did COVID impact your business? Like, what did you find in your fundraising space and your development space? Well, I do want to say before I start oh, yeah. that literally the community theater here is such an integral part of our life oh. and how we proceed. My daughter um, does plays there. <clears throat> My son used to go to an after school program. It's called the Community House. It's in Hamilton, Wenham. And my daughter's theater is called Stage 284 Youth Company. And it was fine. We were so excited that she finally found her thing because we tried sports. We tried a bunch of other things and, you know, Taekwondo and whoever knows. And she finally found her people and her, her community. And she, you know, right when um, COVID happened, what it was really, really pretty devastating, I think for her, but also for me, I think, I just put my head down and it was a whirlwind. So in the beginning, what happened was that I was getting a lot more inquiries in terms of digital fundraising and, oh, we've got to pivot our gala into mm -hmm. virtual or our golf tournament. We have to somehow turn it into a virtual fundraiser. Um, and I've always done online training, so that that didn't really change. But I do found, find that my entire perspective on how we, like what's normal, what's the next normal, like what are we going to take with us from the quote unquote old days, you know, the, yeah. the, the before times, what are we going to take with us? But my business has always been online. I've worked from home for 10 years. I've been really lucky. The biggest change of course is having my husband and my kids at home with me all day. So, <laughs> and not traveling. I used to do a lot of speaking. I was on planes a lot yep. and I really have to be honest. I don't miss it. Like I miss speaking. I do virtual speaking. I do miss being on stage but I don't miss being on a plane every right. week. I, I, I don't, but it's, it's definitely changed 
my priorities and it's changed, I think, a lot of um, how organizations are approaching like their fundraising and their marketing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I had my days on the planes too. So I can, I, I completely remember those days. I never would think it's so glamorous. And then you get a nine hour layover and you're in LA and you're like, Oh, I just want to be home with my kids snuggled yep. on the couch. So feeling very privileged to have experienced that, but not anxious to go back to that crushing hustle right. that I was in. Yeah. And Julie, I'd love to, I'm so glad you told the story about your daughter. What's your daughter's name? Isabel. Isabel, I'm so glad you told the story about Isabel because um, sometimes I think as as people who work in the theater, we forget um, how important the organizations are to the community, um, especially in the last six to seven months because we've all been hunkered down and burrowed down. Um, I loved your story and I'm th thank you for telling it because um, it's so important for us to remember how um, important community theaters and theaters are to people in the community, Absolutely. With, you know, which kind of leads a little bit into my next question, you know, um, as we are starting to try to figure out how to organize our fundraising strategies for the fall, um, you know, what do you recommend or some best practices to mm -hmm. um, think about how we can, I don't know, like, how can we start cutting through the clutter of digital um, to get that right best practice in place to start our fundraising? Right. I loved what you said and I wrote it down. We have the opportunity and the right to fundraise. So I'm going to use that and give you attribution. I absolutely love that. I think that what organizations are getting wrong, and I did see it in one of the questions. I don't want to jump ahead of the questions. No, thinking that we are not worthy in some way because we're not first responders, we're not providing PPE, we're not on the front lines of the healthcare crisis, um, thinking that we're less than, but we can't be silent right now. This is not the time to be silent. People are giving. All the trends have been showing that even though we are probably going to be entering if we're not already in an economic recession. People are giving and they even are planning, the Fundraising Effectiveness Project found that they're planning on giving more. 36% of people are going to increase their giving this year because they know that it's so needed. So I think that the worst thing we can do is bury our heads in the sand and say, no, someone else is more worthy. Because to me, that says that you're not valuing me as a donor. If I think that you are a really worthy cause and I want to be a member or I want to participate, I want to ensure your survival, it's almost an insult. It's almost negating what your donors and your sponsors are feeling. So that's on the first hand. Right. The second piece of what you said, the cut through the clutter. So I'm a huge fan of Seth Godin and he's my go-to marketing guru. I just pre-ordered his new book. Yes, this is marketing. That is a that the is Bible. absolutely mandatory reading. The Bible. And this is the Bible. Yes. <laughs> also, you know, what is it? Linchpin and tribes and any other yeah. I have all tribes is over there. I don't want to leave my camera. He's just <laughs> he so he says when we say the words cut through the clutter, it's actually selfish. Because what we mean is, how can we interrupt people when they don't necessarily want to see or read or hear or watch what we want them to? And right. we're not entitled to that attention, so we have to earn it. And I, I love that framework. So rather than saying, let's cut through the clutter, how can we reach out 
to our members, to our people, to the people that know, trust, and love us, encourage them to get very inspired and then perhaps encourage them to spread the word to other people. And that's the best way you can market. So purchase it. Well, first of all, Facebook ads, I think, are banned now until the end of the election or at least, you know, social issue ads, right. which I have seen um, community theaters and arts organizations get their ads banned because they're social, they're quote unquote social issue ads. So right. spending a lot of money on ads, billboards, pop-ups, nobody wants any of that. Like yeah. we want to be, we want to hear from people that we want to hear from on issues that we want to hear about. So cultivating the people that know you and love you and really trying to inspire them and make them feel proud. And what I love, Julie, about what you do and your community is that people would put it on a shirt. You know, it, it would be, it's something that they identify with. It's creating that shared identity with your customers or your donors, your clients. It's creating that you know, shared worldview and value so that I would put you on a shirt. I would say, I'm going to wear this. Um, I'm going to put this on a bumper sticker. This is part of who I am. It's not just I'm guilted into giving. I don't just feel bad. I, you know, I'm actually, this is part of me and part of who I am and part of what I stand for. So any way that you can stop thinking about the cutting through the clutter, because first of all, you cannot cut through the clutter. There's <laughs> so much, there's so much clutter at the end of the day. I literally throw my phone on my bed and I'm like, I can't look at my phone. I'm not, I don't want to do anything. I want to just like watch the office, you know, <laughs> with my daughter and that's all I want to do. But the, the whole notion of it, it's just impossible to do. So rather than say, cut through the clutter, figure out how to cultivate a community and how to really engage and inspire those particular people. Right. And that goes right along with what we've talked about so much here is, you know, mm -hmm. um, how critically important it is to keep a consistent voice in your social media and in your email marketing, that you're maintaining those relationships. You know, there were too many theaters that went quiet for too many months after the COVID hit. They just didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to say and do. And um, it, it's just so critical that that we're using this time now to re-engage mm -hmm. and, and build those connections back up because Julia, you said it perfectly. I mean, they're ready and willing and wanting to support the theater um, because they care about the organization. Well, I can use two, several examples where I live. Well, also because I'm very involved in the theater. So you're talking, you're preaching to your donor here because I love the theater. My family, we love the arts. We love the theater. And you guys have to know, I did not know this about no. Julia. <laughs> so before I, I asked her to be my guest, it's it great because <laughs> if someone doesn't love the arts or love the theater, this is not necessarily the time that you're going to kind of rope them in and like all of a sudden make them a theater lover in the middle of the pandemic. It's just not going to happen. Right. But you can really inspire the people that are interested in it and keep them interested. So I think it right now, we're just trying to like stem the bleeding. Right. It's less about donor acquisition right now. It's much more about donor retention and also getting those donors to become monthly donors or sustainers getting them to become members, getting them to become planned givers, major givers. So what I'm telling my clients right now, you know, you don't want to do like a major donor acquisition campaign right now, because first of the election, there's so much going on that people are getting asked for money for right now that I think it's best to just hold on tight and, and don't and stem the bleeding from the donors that 
might leave you or might, you know, you're going to have some, some attrition because people right. are not going to be able to afford to give, but not just don't just don't um, go silent. Do not go silent, no matter what you have to say. So I remember um, a campaign that the local library here did. Like local library has been closed for months, right? Yeah. Seven months. And they have a friends group that raises money for them. And I'm part of the friends group and I hadn't heard from them, but I hadn't even thought about it because of everything that's going on. But now school's starting. So I thought, oh, I wonder what the library is doing. They are starting to do a series of Facebook lives, but they're not anything groundbreaking. It's just, hey, it's Friday. This is what we're doing today. This is, you know, we're cleaning the shelves. We might have drop-offs. You could reserve online. This is how you can do this. This is what we're doing. And it's like a Q&A with the head librarian or a couple of the librarians. Like not, nobody can predict the future. You can't do a video where you say, this is what's going to happen in a month. But you can do a video at the end of every week that says, this was what happened this week. You know, here's what's going on. Here's where we stand with the mandates in our state. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's what we have on tap. We'd love to hear from you. You know, just keeping it. It's sort of like how you would not just not talk to your family for seven months right. because you can't see them. You're going to still check in on them. Even if you can't have Thanksgiving, you're going to still say, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? This is what we're doing. Or this, these are our plans right now. And we know they could change a week from now. Right. So being, we just need to get away from this idea that everything that we communicate has to be this perfectly planned and perfectly scripted video. Correct. Right now we have to go very off the cuff and we have to go very like unscripted and be very unpolished. And I know that's uncomfortable, especially probably for theater people, but right. I, I, that's a great point, Julie. And, and, you know, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of the theaters out there that, um, that were very, very confident in kind of diving in head first and, and figuring out live and figuring out all the things that they can be doing to stay connected with their audiences. Um, but then there are other theaters that wanted to have every, you know, every T crossed mm -hmm. and every script written because, you know, we come from the world where you need yeah. to, like, there needs to be a, a heavy pre-production phase mm -hmm. of what we do. And um, rehearsals. exactly, exactly. So that, that this world of digital really kind of turns that on its ear because sometimes yeah. that's less impactful um, to, uh, to the, th you know, to the, to the viewer. Um, you know, I've been a part of a couple of fundraisers for theaters and honestly, mm -hmm. the, the, the most, um, the most compassionate and empathetic and stirring um, testimonials mm -hmm. came from somebody who was sort of holding a shaky camera in the middle uh, of the kitchen and talking about the organization. So yes. to your point, Julia, really it's it, when you're thinking about what that kind of content you're going to be making um, when you're asking, when you're in that appeal phase, mm -hmm. um, it does not have to be ha heavily scripted with, with a film camera. Right. And it really has to just, you, you have to think about, okay, so I'm, I wrote some things down. You have to think about what it's really about for people. It, yes, it's about the experience of going to the theater. Yes, it's about the after-school care. I mean, those are all features, mm -hmm. but what are the real benefits? I mean, people that believe in the arts see beyond just going and having a good night out. They see the value in theater, in arts, in music, in community. I mean, they, they see the value and they don't want it to go away. And I think just because you're not a food bank or a homeless shelter, 
please don't negate that value that you're providing to people. And, you know, I see it as a parent. And I was just saying the story of how we tried everything for my daughter. Of course, she's the luckiest girl in the world. (laughs) Everything. But nothing fully transformed her and turned her into who she is and gave her the confidence and gave her a voice, you know, until she found the arts. And that is like, that's so important. And that's the benefit. And that's not just so she'd have a place to hang out with kids. And so she'd have something to do. It's really beyond that. So as long as we're conveying those stories and that impact, even if we don't have the annual report this year, which we're not going to, that says we did this, we provided this many camps, we did this X, Y, Z, just talking honestly about what was accomplished. And then I think we need to forget 2020 to be totally honest. I think we need to start talking about the future so we can talk about the impact in terms of we need this money and this revenue to survive, but let's talk about the future, the vision and what we want to create. And let's look forward when we're fundraising this year. Oh, I'm going to put a pin in that and I'm internalizing what you just said because it's so true. That is so true really thinking about like painting a picture and giving people hope and a focus on what the future and it, we've it, the theater industry has been certainly um, mm-hmm. been reevaluating how we do everything from casting mm-hmm. to um, hiring to uh, the impact of black lives matter and yes. how we're integrating BIPOC Talk about that. Initiatives and all of that stuff, you know, as theaters, we, we went through um, the summer of really thinking about what is, what is the strategic plan look like for many theaters of how we're going to be taking action to move and innovate and grow um, our, you know, theater strategic goals and dreams. And, and th- that's an important thing to talk about when we're fighting. And be more inclusive yeah, and fit more into, you know, things that we should have been doing, but maybe we weren't awake to. Right. And I love that. I, I think that it's all about accepting and grieving the past and then making a plan for what we're going to do in the future. Boom. There's the social media clip. Watch for it on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> so here, uh, let's go ahead and dig into some of the questions. A lot of the Academy members um, aren't able to join us live because ironically, I learned this from a, from a survey, Julia, that a lot of, um, a lot of our folks, um, their, their participation with their theaters is either voluntary mm-hmm. or it's done in the evenings and weekends. And right. so um, quite a lot of folks watch things on demand. And so I always encourage them to ask questions beforehand. And a lot of them did. So I thought we could dive into those. Well, 3 p.m. is the new 9 a.m., right? For working moms. Yes. We're done remote schooling. <laughs> and we can oh actually work God. on our own stuff. Oh, oh my gosh. Sidebar. My daughter said to me last night about 1 a.m. when she came down the stairs, are you still working? I'm like, oh, I know. I hear you. Okay. So our first question um, is, unlike many nonprofits who find their work changed some, many theaters basically are no longer producing the service they provided to communities, and they won't be doing so until maybe fall of 2021. Um, how can nonprofit theaters continue to ask for money when they're producing no product? Mm-hmm. Well, is that like how I do, think how I think of the organizations that are solving problems that are not solvable. You know, Rosie's Place in Boston, they serve homeless women who come in 
every day. They serve over 200 women a year. No questions asked. No questions asked. A woman can come in there, get a shower. I don't actually, their services are vast, um, dramatically, dramatically decreased lately right. because of COVID, but they're still providing some essential services, but that's not a problem that's ever going to be solved. It's like, I will keep giving to them because that's not a problem. So it's, it's not like you are solving a problem that has an end. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily have a product. It doesn't, it's not like I'm giving to you because I know this is going to end. I'm giving to you because I think it's important and I believe in it and it's part of who I am and it's part of my family and I, I want to be a part of the community. So yes, you might have people that are only going to give to you in terms of corporate sponsorships or maybe memberships or maybe ticket sales. But I've even kept some of my memberships with businesses because they're small businesses and I know them and I love them and I don't want them to go under. Right. So playing to the, we're in this together. This is what we have accomplished this year with probably 90% staff layoffs. This is what we're looking forward to in 2021. And then talking to people and asking them, what would you like to see? You know, what are some of the things you want to hear from us? What are some other ways we can serve you? Do you want to do a virtual cabaret or not? Or would you rather just get some helpful information from us? Or what are the ways that you want us to communicate our impact to you? I still think that fundraising now, I know I've gotten um, fundraising letters from the little local history museum who's been that's been closed saying it your support now is just as vital mm -hmm. as ever. This year is a year like no other. And if we're going to weather the storm, we need your help. And then if we're going to be able to emerge from this triumphant, we need your support. We need to hold hands and get through this together. Got it. Yep. Very true. Um, next question. Mm -hmm. Is there a donor management system that you would recommend? And if so, why? Can you explain to them, uh, to many of the folks watching what a donor management system even is? Yeah. So a donor management system, it could be called a CRM, which is like a customer, what is it? It's customer relationship mm -hmm. management. It's just a, a pretty much a fancy word for like a database that you can automate certain systems and processes. So in terms, I mean, you're, you're all going to want event capabilities as well. So for me, I do a lot of work with a CRM called Neon One. And I, I really, I love the people there. They're very committed to um, DEI. They're very committed to inclusivity. They're just very committed to the nonprofit sector and they work with really small nonprofits. So I probably recommend Neon One and they do have an event and ticketing capability. Okay, great. Yeah, that's that's interesting because, you know, uh, the majority of theaters have their digital ticketing services set. Um, you know, that usually yeah. is where they where they manage their ticketing. Um, but there are certainly a handful of theaters that don't have a um, donor platform attached. Mm -hmm. They're they're trying. I know some theaters that are still using spreadsheets, you know, to manage their donors. And so I think I don't know this person. This person didn't leave their name, but um, um, I think maybe that that's what they're trying to figure out. Like, how do you manage your donors? Maybe separate from. And that's the thing. I found that it's very difficult to find something that's not kind of all band-aided together mm -hmm. but neon one is fantastic it's right. donor management it's crowdfunding it is even potentially developing like some kind of capacity with facebook fundraising so right. it's kind of got everything for every size well, nonprofit. that's a question i have for you what is your opinion on facebook fundraising 
Um, I think from a donor perspective, so there's two perspectives, right? Well, there's three perspectives. One, the donor. Mm-hmm. Two, the nonprofit. And three is Facebook. So we have to take all three into um, account. So number one is probably the donor. So the donor loves it because it's very easy to set up. You can set it up in two clicks. You can donate in two clicks and you don't get signed up for any email lists and you don't get a bunch of spam in your inbox. I'm just thinking processing as a donor. So if I give $5 to my friend Bonnie's birthday fundraiser, I'm really giving $5 to Bonnie. Let's be real. I'm not really giving to the charity. I probably care about it, but it's not something that's on the top of my list. The nonprofit perspective, nonprofits don't like it because they can't get my information, but it's not about, it's not about me, right? I gave $5 to Bonnie. Let's focus on Bonnie. And you can get that information. At least you can get her name, the people that set up the fundraisers for you. So to me, I think we're looking at it all wrong. We're focusing on these little tiny donors that are probably only giving because their friend asked them to. And the other thing that's important to know, there's a box you can check that says, I want to hear from the nonprofit. If somebody doesn't want to hear from you, it's like dating. Don't call them. Don't text them. If I say, I don't want to hear from you, don't call me. Don't stalk them on Facebook and ask to be their friend. And it doesn't mean never. It doesn't mean never again. It just means please not right now. So what we, we've been so trained to think that fundraising is all about us and what we want and our donation page. But now the shift has become, it's about the donor because look at how we interact in a consumer environment, Netflix, Amazon, everything is personalized. Everything is two clicks. I can go on Amazon. I got just got my son's socks. Like, oh, he needs socks, two clicks, you know, that's how we live our lives. And a lot of younger people, especially, they don't necessarily want you having all their information. They don't want to go to your donor page that's probably not mobile optimized from their phone and click and scroll and enter their credit cards and do all of that. So we have to balance it. I don't think you can rely on Facebook. You should never rely on a third party platform like social media for your donations, you should always have a way that you can take them on your own website. But I think it's a tool in your toolbox. And I also think it's money that comes with no strings attached. You can do whatever you want with it. It's not designated. There's no fees on it. Right. So I, I really, I think there's just a couple of ways to look at it. And then the third perspective of course is Facebook. And this is a question that I get all the time. Why won't Facebook and Instagram give us the donor information? Well, of course they're not because they're loyal to their user. Like they are, they want to make a good experience for their user. So their user stays on the platform. If they start, I mean, we all know they give away information to all the advertisers, (laughs) but if they give your email to the nonprofit and then you get an email, a spam email, then they're going to get some blowback from that. So there's all these different parties at play. So what I would recommend the, you know, the too long didn't read version, TLDR version is don't rely on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube fundraising. Use it as a tool in your toolbox, set it up. So if somebody wants to start a fundraiser and you make a couple hundred bucks, if I sent you an anonymous check for $200, you would still cash it, right? I mean, I would (laughs) hope you would, but you can't rely on it. You still have to have that donor relations piece 
where you are cultivating and learning more about your donors. But this is the new way of fundraising. I mean, this is people love this kind of fundraising where they can just donate in two clicks. So we can't ignore it. And that's that's the point is set and make your sure your theater is set up for it. And yeah. you know, even, you know, for some of the theaters that have moved forward in in cultivating um, you know, what I call influencer pods. Um, yes. you know, if you guys have been working on that project this year and you've got that group of 20 theater enthusiasts who are your cheerleaders and cheerleaders online, you know, maybe those are the ones that you go to this fall and you say, you know, now we're, we're going to be focusing in on our year in fundraising. We've set up our Facebook um, giving uh, uh, component. And so here's how, here are the easy steps that you can take to do a fundraiser on our behalf um, on your social media. So that's a really great idea. That's a great way to get some free exposure because if I set up, a fundraiser for the community house in Hamilton. A lot of my friends and family, maybe across the country, across the state, have not heard of this theater. So even then, it's a great way to get exposure and to get your name out there and to increase visibility. And peer-to-peer -peer fundraising is is a really effective form of fundraising. We could do an entire show on peer-to-peer -peer fundraising, couldn't we? <laughs> True, we could. We, we could. definitely could. We could. Good. Awesome. Well, listen, I want to get to another one of these questions. Yes. Um, so we have little to no budget and no staff on hand to produce a year-of-end fundraising campaign like we have in the past. What do you suggest? Well, I see, I read that question and I thought, okay, so you don't have anybody to do it. So you probably can't do it. Like that's, that was the first thing I thought. <laughs> so I'm not, I don't know if you have no one to do anything, then I guess I would probably focus on calling your major donors. If that's probably like your biggest bang for your buck, like who has donated last year? Who do you feel like could donate again? And then if you can't do anything at all, at least send out an email, at least send out an email to your email list, your members, your sponsors, your ticket holders, and, you know, write that email from the heart, write right. that email from the executive director, write it from a human and just be extremely honest and say, we don't have any money to do big fancy campaign this year. We're going to send one email and we really hope that you respond to this email. I think being honest mm -hmm. is is sometimes, not sometimes, always the best policy. But not being honest in like a gimmicky way, but being seriously honest that, hey, we have no resources. And guess what? We are just sending one email appeal. And this right. is it. And this is why we hope you give. Right. So email is a solution is just going in and accessing your existing database and then making person to person phone calls to your uh, previous donor. Yeah, I think phone those, calls I, and enlisting your board if you have board or volunteers to make those phone calls too. Really great point. Um, boards. I, I hope your theater has moved to a working board and that mm. they know that they have responsibilities during this time. I know many of those boards have been working that way. The ones that I've been so fortunate to to meet and work with. So um, this might be the time that they get that list from you. And this, these are the folks we really want you to connect with over the next couple of months. That's a great idea, Julia. Yeah. Right. Um, we've got a few more questions that were pre-submitted, but if you guys have questions, those of you that are watching, if you've got questions for Julia, go ahead and put them down in the questions module here at the bottom. If you want to put them in the chat, that's fine too. I can look there in a minute, but that question module will help us keep your questions organized. Okay, cool. Um, the next question is, oh, speaking of boards, several, mm -hmm. 
on my theater's board are adamant we don't fundraise. Oh, we are. We sort of talked about this one already. This mm -hmm. is oh, I, know. I have words for this. Yeah, they, uh, they feel that I the read this one. <laughs> <laughs> they feel that the money's needed elsewhere in the community. Um, and they, but this person asked, "Do you have any tips on how to change their mind?" I don't. Okay, hmm. I'm roll up our sleeves here because. Okay. The role and responsibility of the board is the fiscal sustainability of the organization. That is a board member's duty. They are governance, but they are responsible for the fiscal sustainability of the organization. That's what they're supposed to do. And I people give me so much blowback for that. That is 100%. Boards are supposed to either be opening doors or fundraising or thanking donors or doing something to ensure that the organization can stay afloat. If you don't need to raise money, if you have an endowment, then obviously like you, you don't want to raise money if you don't need it. Right. But if you need it, if it's something that you need, then there's always going to be an organization quote unquote more worthy than you are. There's always going to be an organization that is serving people like a hospice, people that are actually dying. Like that's always going to be there. So I think this inferiority complex, I, I would tell the board, this is me, and you can tell them I said this, they have to get over their inferiority complex. Like, are they are they with us or are they against us? Like, are you on board with our mission? Our mission is to do this. And without these resources, we can't fulfill our mission. And we're going to be disappointing this many people in the community. And this is the loss that's going to come of this. So my advice would be, I, I don't think every single member of your board feels that way. I would find some allies, a couple of allies on your board, or maybe your executive director, maybe you are the executive director, but find some allies on your board and just say, look, this is the reality of what we're facing. And, and also, like I said before, I do honestly think it's an insult to your donors when you do not give them the chance to express themselves because people in a crisis, they feel agency when they give, they feel almost like they can control something. So mm -hmm. when they're totally out of control, shockingly, people actually really like to give money because they feel like, okay, everything's out of control, but I can make this $50 gift and it just makes me feel good. And it makes me feel like I'm in control of something. So I would, I would use all of those points but just say, you know, we're worthy. We're worthy of support. And, you know, we, we have to start sticking up for ourselves and advocating for ourselves. Which reminds me, and I don't want to go too far down the digital marketing rabbit hole, but, you know, there really is a place for, mm -hmm. um, all, for theaters that have been, been um, present and doing content online for the last four to five months, whether you've been doing Zoom shows or you've been doing um, talk shows or you've been doing interview shows, where you a lot of cabarets, virtual yep, cabarets, cabaret, <laughs> lots of virtual talent shows, virtual talent shows, right? Or or even um, game shows, whatever you've been doing, you've been giving free content for the most part to mm -hmm. a very large group. And I know uh, if you're a part of the marketeers, you've seen your engagement and the the number of people following you on social media grow. So we've had some 
very big positives that have happened over the past six months. Now, those people also may be potentially people that were so supportive and so engaged in what we've done over the past six to eight months that they say, you know what, I am going to give them 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. and, and those are so important. Those first donors, even if it's a small, um, a, a small donation, it's still the beginning of a relationship, right, Julia? Exactly. Oh, Lynn Wester, who is, she's called the donor guru. Everyone uh -huh. should follow Lynn Wester, the donor guru. I just saw her speak the other week and she was talking about how we shouldn't judge our donors by the size of the gift, but by the loyalty, because you could have a person donating $10 to you for 10 years. That person is so much more valuable to you than someone that maybe donated 500 once as a tax write-off or as a corporate donation. So it's really not the size of the donation. It's really the passion, the loyalty, the relationship that you're building with these donors. Yeah, absolutely. Which sort of is interesting because this last question that was submitted has a little bit to do with that topic. It was hmm. perfect. Um, it said, we've not had great luck getting our corporate sponsors back to sponsor hmm. our theater's content while the theater is on pause. Do you suggest we turn those asks into donations and give them access to shows when our theater opens again? I would see how, I mean, so to me, okay. So to me, when I read that question, I thought I've actually heard from a lot of nonprofits that canceled fundraising events and their sponsors still came through for them. And those are, those sponsors are real partners, right? The, the people that I'm talking about because they, are not just sponsoring because they're getting a benefit. They're sponsoring because they really believe in it. So you, I would find those sponsors, cultivate them, the ones that still want to give. Mm -hmm. If it's people that want their name on a program, it is going to be a little bit harder because they are going to have to get used to this whole new world where they're not having their name on programs or having their name on a marquee. Um, but if you can offer them maybe some future benefits, but trying to talk to them about how it's a really different world it's a completely different world that we're living in now. Maybe there are virtual um, virtual benefits they can get. I know for several conferences that I've spoken at, the sponsors get a little reel in front of each speaker. So they get a little video ad, they okay. get to talk, maybe right. they get a 30 second, one minute promo before each event. So there are ways to sort of incorporate virtual sponsor benefits or corporate sponsor benefits into the virtual world, but we do have to be a little bit more creative in thinking about how to do that. So I would actually ask them and talk to them, what are the kind of benefits that you hope to see from us? and what virtually might be worth your while. And this the question sort of reminded me too, uh, some of the theaters that are a part of the Marketeers right now, one of the things we're talking about is um, how to help sponsors shift their thinking of, I sponsor something that, I, that people go to a small space and gather and then leave to the PBS. I call it the PBS model. You mm -hmm. know, you're now, you know, if you are doing something like a virtual fundraiser, um, you're moving to a model that looks a lot more like PBS where they might get that kind of, you know, the, the, the greenhouse theater is proud to yep. be sponsored by yeah, um, or NPR. You think about uh, NPR model. Yeah. The PBS. Yeah. NPR model. So they all get, get a shout out. Yep. They get shout outs or they get their 30 seconds to talk about how much they love the arts and how important the arts are to the, to the company. So all of that shifting of that mindset, um, using things that are familiar to them. 
might also help for the folks person that asked the question. I think that's so important that we all need to not only shift our own mindsets, which I'm sure we're all exhausted to do, but we have to bring everybody else along with us. Right. And that's a big part of, you know, if you are, if you are here in the Academy, if you are responsible for marketing, um, you're most likely responsible for fundraising and development, at least in part, right? Hopefully mm -hmm. you're not working in silos with your development director. Um, but yeah, having that collaborative approach means you both have to go to go to these sponsors and talk in that in this new way. Right. Yeah. Right. Awesome. So important. Yes, let's pop over and see if we've got okay. some questions. I've um, got a couple questions here live. Great. Oh, I did um, see one more submitted question about the snail mail. Oh, there was. Did I miss one? Oh, yes. Let's go back to that real quick because it's a That's good right. one. Thank you, yeah. Maria. Um, they said, do you think snail mail is still required fundraising tactic? Now, I would never say anything is required because... I just don't think anything's required. You can kind of throw the whole rule book at, rule book out. But yeah. if this is something your donors expect from you every year, then yes. So if your donors are expecting that letter, I know that for older generations, um, they tend to just wait for that annual appeal letter. Like I'm thinking of my mom. She just knows that she's going to donate to St. Jude's and whoever else is going to come in the mail. She's going to write her check and she's going to donate. So she's used to that. Yeah. But I think having a multi-channel approach and doing direct mail along with an email campaign, along with some social media, that can be the most effective to target multiple generations. Nice. That is certainly true in the theater. Um, our, our donor base is aging rapidly as mo as are most arts um, organizations, whether you're a museum or you are a, uh, or you're a library, um, you know, if you are a symphony, Obviously, mm -hmm. um, you know, we do have our, our top donors are, are, are aging. So um, it is important. And I agree with you, Julie. I think it's still important to keep mail oh, yeah. um, a big part of your strategy. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, let's see over in the comments here. Um, oh, hi, Sherry. Glad you're here. Um, mm -hmm. Michelle said, a thought to share. We have enlisted some of our volunteer performers to call and thank donors. Amazing. It'd be really exciting for them to get a call from people they see on stage. Yep. North Shore Music Theater, where I live, they've done that. So they are not, they just transitioned into being a nonprofit, but they were not traditionally a nonprofit, but they were still selling mm -hmm. membership packages. Uh huh. So um, we actually, interestingly, I know this is my, this is still my theater geekness, my theater geek history. <laughs> when I, when I lived, when we lived with my mom, we had um, the third floor and we would always have theater, like actors that were regional actors at the regional theater stay there. And they would, they'd have, they'd make phone calls. They would go talk to big sponsors. They'd go talk to big donors. And I think that's just such a great way to get everybody involved, but to really, you know, it's a new face for the sponsor and the donor to see. Yep. We have theaters. Um, it, also, Michelle, to, to tag on to what you said, we've got some theaters uh, in the Academy who are um, offering high ticket donor prices for their fundraisers with getting one-on-one -on -one, um, Zoom calls with some of their regional talent. So <laughs> building that into your tiers, if you are doing a virtual fundraiser, is also a really super smart idea. Yeah. Like by, by on demand, uh, on demand performance on Zoom. Well, think about Cameo. Cameo is such oh, a right. big thing now yep. that people love, they love that personalized happy birthday or message or anniversary message. Or I mean, they, they love that personalization. 
So true. Okay, uh, uh, Susan asks: Most of our past fundraising—sorry, uh, most of our past fundraising efforts have not been online. Mm -hmm. We've used direct mail, phone conversations, face-to-face, -face, etc. Now that we want to add online fundraising to our mix, do you have any suggestions on what strategies to start with? Well, I would start with a donate button on your website. I would hope you would have that. I would then move into trying to get as many email addresses as possible and try to incorporate an email appeal into what you're doing. And then if you are not on social media, maybe, I mean, I think Instagram is perfect for arts organizations because it sort of cuts across demographics. Younger people, older people are on Instagram. It's very visual. And even sharing photos of your old plays or your, not, it doesn't have to be what you're doing right now. Right. Instagram is interesting because it's not necessarily what you're doing right now. It really is your best photos and it could be your best photos and you could still write on it. This was a year ago, or this was when we did the production of, um, you know, Phantom of the Opera, whatever it is. So I would just really start small, but definitely make sure, I mean, your website and email are super, super important, especially if you're dealing with maybe an, a little bit of an older demographic and then, trying to do some visual storytelling on Instagram, but you gotta, you have to, you know, crawl, walk, run. Right. Crawl, walk, run. Julie, can you pause, talk a minute about um, the donate button on your website? Mm -hmm. Like how many times should it be like, let's say on your homepage, do you recommend? I think it just needs to be up in the top, right? The word donate in red. That's what people are used to. And then make sure on a mobile site that you can, you know, you can see it that it's not kind of cut off, but don't say get involved. Don't say whatever. I don't know, whatever people say, learn more. No, donate. Yeah. Because if people are going, if people see it and they don't want to donate, they're going to ignore it. If they want to donate, they want to find it. So make it very, you know, very clear and, um, and then strip out all of the distractions on the donate page. Don't say like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, 95 other calls to action just have a very stripped down mobile accessible um, donate page. Whether you're using PayPal mm -hmm. or you're using um, your or Blackbot or whatever, whatever you're using, I'd just make that very, very simple and clean and easy to um, mm -hmm. donate on. Absolutely. Yeah. And always have a monthly giving option. I'm sure most of oh. your members have memberships. So no, put the membership no. option or the monthly yeah. giving option or whatever that, you know, because that is the new trend. The only way I give is monthly. And I know a lot of people. Oh, just monthly. so you just, you just, you just went right into something that I've been talking about. And I'm so glad to have somebody else um, mm -hmm. aligned with me is that um, the way don donations are changing is that people are no longer writing. If you're, if you're under the age of 50, you're no longer writing a check for $500. No. You are, you are looking for a, a, a membership top mo type model. Yes. And last month we had a really long masterclass. I hope you were there talking about memberships and how to move your, your theater organization to a membership mindset. But that also that. comes with a critical need to give your donors this fall the option to become monthly donors because $10 every month is a heck of a lot more than them writing you a $50 check. Exactly. And also, if you think about consumer behavior, this is where nonprofits 
always go wrong. We don't look at what consumers do in the consumer world. We, every single thing in my life is a membership. Amazon Prime, Netflix, Hulu, name it. It's all a monthly membership. So that's just the way I think people live their life in a consumer world. So it's very easy for me to say, okay, I'll do 10 bucks a month rather than sitting down at the end of the year like people used to do and do their their um, year-end giving. Right. Uh, it's just, it's much more integrated, I think, into to everyday life now. But we all exist on a membership model. I mean, before coronavirus, I had, you know, like three of those clothing memberships and like oh, everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't even know. I'd, actually, I'd probably need to go look at what I'm still paying for. But <laughs> yeah. I think that it we need to start looking consumer behavior and how it's so personalized and it's all based on convenience and it's based on when we want it. But we, you know, we, we still value, we still value the same things, but we're just paying for them in kind of a different way. So definitely have a monthly giving option. I agree. Oh, yay. Okay. I knew I liked you. (laughs) Okay. The next question from Sherry, what is it donors want from the organization? What do they want to hear? Do they want events or just a cause? This, I guess, goes back to the question of, do we need to do a big event online if we're a theater that's currently not producing new work? I don't know. That's a really, that's an interesting question. You'd have to ask your donors, ask them. I would be willing to bet it's a split, Mm -hmm. but there are so many studies around why donors leave. And all of the studies say that the donor left because they didn't feel appreciated. They didn't feel like their gift made any meaningful difference. They didn't feel like the cause needed them. And they didn't get any communication on what the money went to. Like that's why donors leave. So no matter what the organization is, if we can just communicate to them, they're appreciated, they're needed, their gift is meaningful. And if we can give them something a little extra, that's just the icing on the cake. You know, if you can give them a little video and Maybe it's, we have all this content. That's the other thing. You have all this video footage and all of these photos and just interviews. I'm just thinking of all of this great stuff that you probably have lying around collecting digital dust. Could you repurpose it and maybe make like a greatest hits or a video compilation and send it to the donor? Video compilation. Yeah. I, I just don't think we need to reinvent the wheel and get very extravagant this year. Yeah, I, I personally feel like people are just being very minimalist this year and um, they're still giving the causes they care about, but they're not expecting, you know, Madam Butterfly in return. Exactly. We've got time for one more question. Yeah. Uh, some of the, the vocal members of our board seem to believe that digital marketing begins and ends with our Facebook page. <laughs> 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 I mean, I guess so. So I, that's so funny. You said that I just gave a workshop at Northeastern University, a virtual workshop. I've never felt older in my whole life, but I assigned them this particular group of kids. I said, you know, they're not kids, they're adults. I said, I would love to hear if you were to do a get out the vote campaign, like a nonpartisan get out the vote campaign, what would you do? What channels and why? Obviously, not a single one of them said Facebook, not, not a single right. one of the groups. 
Um, they all said Instagram and TikTok, everyone, and they would use Instagram in a different way than TikTok. And I thought that was so interesting because of course my first, my first thought would be to go to Facebook. So it's really determinant on who you're trying to target. I think Facebook is like having a website. Now you have to have a Facebook page. You have to have a presence, sign up for charitable giving tools. Just do check all the boxes on Facebook, but it depends who you want to reach. If you're trying to reach a younger demographic, they're really not using Facebook as much. And they might say they are, but they're definitely not. Right. So I think it's a requisite. Um, I wouldn't, I think your digital marketing strategy begins with your website. 100% begins with your website. You should have email marketing because you control both those things. You can take them with you. you. If Facebook decides to shut down ads and start charging and pull the rug out from under us like they do every five minutes, you can't take your fans with you. You can take your emails. You can take your website with you, your blog subscribers, all of that you control. So just don't build your house on rented land. I think it's a piece of the puzzle. It's a tool. But and I, you know me. I mean, I wrote a book on social media. I love social media. I think it's powerful to build a movement. I just don't want you to only invest in that because the landscape is changing so much and who knows what's even going to be happening. I mean, who knows what's going to be happening in even just the next couple of weeks on Facebook. So yeah, Julia, I want to, I want to remind everyone that's watching. Uh, if you're watching on demand or you're watching this replay, um, thank you for joining us. Um, if you have questions that you're with during the replay, if you want to go ahead and ask those in the question module, I'll come back in the next couple of days and check back in. I'll mm -hmm. answer any questions that come in during the replay phase. So don't hesitate to ask questions. I'll reach back out to Julia and ask her, um, if, she, if I need her advice on any of the questions that come in after we end the show today. But um, I want to remind everybody that I did not know Julia before <laughs> I, know. I reached out. Best friend, though. <laughs> I know, right? And I'll tell you that you know it's you know I, sometimes we digital marketers we work in a little bit of a bubble because we're so used to just talking about the same things, and so it's so so rewarding to have somebody else join me today that says a lot of the same things that you've heard me say over the last six months. How important it is to have that website and your email marketing ready and raring and firing on all cylinders because we never know what's going to happen on the socials. So love it. So Juliet, one thing I wanted to tell everyone about is that Julia has an upcoming uh, course masterclass on October 29th called Online Fundraising Blueprint. Um, it's a, it's a year end blueprint class where, I don't know, Julie, can you tell us a little bit real quick about like what is going to be happening in this class? Cause we'd love, I'm going to give you guys a link so that you guys could, um, check it out, but could you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So it's going to be about an hour and a half, depending on questions at the end. So we're going to walk through exactly how to use your website, email and social media channels to drive donations at year end. And my goal is to give you a blueprint that you can use year after year after year, no matter the tools. So it'll be kind of evergreen principles. And then we'll talk a little bit about the technology and the tools. Oh, super. So you go into the technology as well. That's awesome. Fantastic. So um, listen, if you want to follow Julia um, on social, on in Instagram, she's at Julia Campbell 77. And of course you can follow us at uh, Playhouse Marketing Group, but you can learn all that you'd like to learn about Julia and everything that she does over at jcsmarketing.com. 
Mm -hmm. So Julia, thank you so much for being here. It was wonderful talking to you about something that we're both incredibly passionate about, which is keeping nonprofits um, alive and um, sustained throughout this really challenging time that we're all faced. We're all facing. I'm so glad. I'm really happy to be here. So and, thanks. And I'm from, from one theater mom to another, I, I hope your daughter gets back on the stage very soon. I do too. I do too. <laughs> thanks again, Julia. Bye. Thank you. So listen, you guys, I um, I want to tease one thing because next week I'm so excited uh, to have a an interview set up next Tuesday at three o'clock with the, um, the legendary Diane Matarazza. Diane is an arts thought leader with a lifelong record of accomplishments as an arts educator, a nonprofit arts administrator, a federal arts funder, foundation director. She basically is helping arts and cultural organizations build strong, sustainable programs. So when Julia talked about thinking about the future, when Julia thought about let's get out of the bubble that we've been in the last six months and thinking about what happened to us, and we want to think about what we can do, you're not going to want to miss next week's um, uh, conversation with Diane. So um, I encourage you, if you don't already um, haven't joined our mailing list, please do that at ptma.live slash sign up. The link to that is over in the chat. So I hope you join me there. I'd like to um, thank again, Julia Campbell, for joining me today to talk about uh, fundraising and how your fall can roll out successfully with your donor um, call to actions and your donor um, appeals. So again, thanks again for joining. Take care, stay safe, wear your masks and follow Be An Arts Hero, hashtag Be An Arts Hero, because the arts needs all of us to support the messaging to Congress that the arts are important and need sustainability and funding to keep us thriving. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Did you know that there are five things that you can do today to grow your influence and presence online? If you head on over to creativesgoingdigital.com, I've got a free resource that's available to you right now today that will help you get a kickstart and jumpstart to your world online as an artist and a creative. So don't delay. Download today. Is that dorky? I don't know. Is that dorky? Maybe. <laughs>